Welcome to the Wake Up With Gratitude podcast. I'm your host, Julie Boyer, and I'm excited to bring you interviews with empowered entrepreneurs who build their businesses on gratitude, self-love, and kindness. On this episode of the Wake Up With Gratitude podcast, I'm going to share with you the story of my first traumatic miscarriage. I was inspired to share my story after listening to a podcast by Kelsey Murphy of Whiskey and Work. You know, I've just recently come across her podcast and I was kind of scrolling back to see what she had to share and what different podcasts she had posted. And one of them was the story of my miscarriage. And I was called to listen to it because one thing that Kelsey says, and I absolutely agree with, is that there are so few stories of miscarriage. And the challenge is, is when you're pregnant, of course, the last thing you want to do is talk about miscarriage because that's the last thing you want to happen. However, since the stat is that more than one in four pregnancies do end in a miscarriage, there are tens of thousands of women who have a miscarriage every day and have nowhere to turn to. And I really think that it's important that we start to share our stories of what really happens in a miscarriage so that we don't feel alone. Because that's the biggest thing. Miscarriage is so veiled in secrecy And there's so much emotion wrapped up into it. And we don't know what to say to people when they have a miscarriage. And we don't really know what they've gone through. Uh, Even if I've been through a miscarriage, I don't have a clue what you personally have gone through as well. So this is my story, of course. And I say the story of my first miscarriage because I have had two traumatic miscarriages And I want to leave the second story to a later date for another podcast because that in itself is another really different story. And that is exactly my point is that my miscarriage story, you know, might not have anything to do what somebody else has gone through. The reason I decided to share now is because when I listened to Kelsey's story, I related to it and I connected to her and I just found that super powerful to have that connection with someone knowing that they'd been through some of the same things that had happened to me. So at the time of this recording, I do have a daughter. She's nine years old. She's amazing. I'm so incredibly grateful and blessed to have a child. I've suffered from endometriosis since I was a teenager. I was diagnosed through surgery in 2008, and that's when... I had um, just some laser surgery to do what they call a cleanup of the endometriosis. And I was told that, of course, it would grow back. So if I wanted to get pregnant, which was the idea, I'd have to do so within about a year. I waited a little bit longer than that. My husband and I wanted to get married first. And then thankfully, within about four months of trying, I was pregnant with my daughter. So I got pregnant uh, really on our first attempt had a fairly healthy pregnancy. My daughter did come early, but uh, she is super happy, healthy, wonderful child growing up um, just, you know, as an only child. So I wasn't really thinking about the endometriosis when I got pregnant for the second time. So we'd always wanted to grow our family. 
And it had never really crossed my mind that the endometriosis would have grown back or that it would have been an issue with a second pregnancy. So when I got pregnant for the second time, basically on the first time we, the first month we actually tried, I got pregnant and we're really excited. And at 12 weeks, it was around, um, you know, Christmas time. And we had told everybody, I had the picture of the ultrasound on my fridge. We had an open house. Our daughter was pretty young at the time. So she was just over two. So she didn't really know what was going on. But we were excited. We had been telling people, you know, we reached 12 weeks. I'd had the ultrasound. Everything looked fine. And a few weeks later, it was uh, towards the end of January, and this was in 2013. So at the time of this recording, it's actually been the seven-year anniversary since the loss. And I remember that I was speaking at an event. I had just started feeling better. You know, I was at about 15 weeks gestation and I was feeling better. I'd stopped feeling so sick all the time. I remember that I was speaking at an event and I wanted to share with everybody that I was pregnant, but for some strange reason, I didn't do it. I just, I didn't make the announcement. It was past 12 weeks, so we figured we were in the clear, but there was something that just stopped me from saying, you know, I'm pregnant in front of all those people. I don't know if it was like this weird intuition that I had or what exactly was going on, but I didn't say anything. So a few days later, uh, I was home by myself and my daughter at the time went to daycare just a couple of days a week to give me time to do some work from home. So she was at her daycare and I was in the care of midwives as I had been for my first pregnancy. And I remember calling them around mid morning and just saying like, I have a lot of cramping going on. Like I don't feel well, not really sure what's going on. And the recommendation was to take a bath. I thought, well, that's, that's all right. Yeah. That seems like a good idea. I'll definitely take a bath, you know, relieve some of the cramping. And so I took a bath and the cramping didn't really abate. And looking back now, I can actually understand that the cramping was my body in labor. I didn't know it at the time. I didn't realize what was happening at the time. And it never occurred to me that this is what would actually happen because I was at 15 weeks. So in my mind, the window of you know miscarriage had closed. So there was nothing to worry about. So basically what happened is I ended up giving birth in the tub. And that was incredibly traumatic. I had no idea what was happening. I did not at all think that this was even a possibility that this could even happen to me, but I literally gave birth in the tub. I was home alone. Uh, thankfully, I had my phone in nearby. It's 2013. We weren't maybe as attached to our phones as we had been in the, you know, as we are maybe today, but I did have my phone beside me. And I had locked. I remember I locked the front door before I got into the bath because I thought, well, I'm getting in the bath. I'm home alone. I should probably lock the door because when I was home during the day, I never locked the door, but I locked the door. Call my husband, you know, I'm basically screaming and crying. He has no idea what's happening. Like he gets this call from his wife who's screaming and crying, has no idea. He's like, I really, he's like, you have to call 911. So I hung up. I actually think now that he also called 911 and 
told, you know, said someone needs to go to my house for my wife, but I did call and I remember just trying to speak to the operator and say what was going on. And, um, I don't remember saying very much, but I do remember the operator saying like, you'll have to calm down. I can't understand a word that you're saying. I want to help you. So I basically, I think I gave my address and then hung up the phone. Not much later, I heard, you know, knocking on the door downstairs and then I heard um, the door being broken down. Well, because I was upstairs in the bath alone, having, you know, given birth to this baby. And I just, I mean, there was, there was blood everywhere. Like I, I just didn't even know what to do. I didn't even know how to get out of the tub. Like I just couldn't even think of what to do. So these two police women broke down the door and came upstairs and, you know, there I am. I'm naked, uh, alone in my bathtub. There's a baby still attached. Uh, there's an umbilical cord attached. And so they uh, waited for the EMS to arrive. I'm pretty sure one of them brought me a robe so I could cover up. And um, then the EMS arrived, which happened to be two men. So I thought that was ironic that I remembered like so clearly that two women had broken down the door and two men had come for EMS. So they, uh, you know, cut the umbilical cord, um, put the baby in a container from my kitchen, as far as I remember. And then I was put into like a seated sort of wheelchair thing so they could bring me down the stairs and take me out in the ambulance. It was January in uh, Eastern Canada. So it was below zero degrees Celsius and I was in a bathrobe. And I think someone actually said, you know, we should probably bring you some clothes and some shoes with you because I didn't have anything. So we you know, put some clothes in a bag, grabbed some shoes. I had a blanket on me. I remember being so freaking cold just going from my house to the ambulance. It was in the middle of the day, so nobody in my neighborhood was really around to see what had happened, which I was pretty grateful for. So I went to the hospital in an ambulance. When I got to the hospital, my midwife was actually there first. And of course, the midwife has no, really can't do anything in the hospital in this case because of course I was no longer pregnant. But she came there to console me uh, while we were waiting. She was there before my husband. She was actually there before the ambulance arrived. Um, they stayed with me for a little bit and then they quickly found me a private room. So definitely grateful that I had a private room because I was still unwell. Like I was still, I still had really bad cramping. And of course, what I didn't, you know, hadn't realized is that the placenta hadn't passed. So I was technically still in labor. And all of this I can really only think about in hindsight. So my husband arrived and then also uh, one of my best friends, she also came to the hospital. I think if I can remember clearly, she and I had been speaking earlier that morning and I told her that I wasn't feeling well. And she said, you know, kind of just keep me posted on what's going on. And so when it happened, I actually can't remember if it was my husband or myself who got in touch with her, but she showed up to the hospital. And she, I remember she had a, a newborn baby. So her husband was with her and he was in the car with the baby because I know she had to leave a few times to go feed her baby, but she was there for me. So when my friend arrived, you know, I was still in a lot of pain and the doctor came and checked and he said, you know, he's like, I think the reason this happened is the umbilical cord was really short. That's like the information that I got about why I might've had a miscarriage. 
He said, but you've had an incomplete miscarriage. You know, the placenta hasn't passed. So we're going to have to do a DNC. I had heard that term before. I didn't really know what it meant, but basically it meant just a minor procedure to basically remove any traces of the pregnancy from my uterus. So at that point, um, there was a, a spot, an opening in the operating room. And I remember being brought upstairs to the operating room and being outside the operating room, uh, quickly meeting uh, the gynecologist. She was very, she was very, very kind. Actually, I just remember that about her. But she looked down. She said, "I still have my wedding ring on." She's like, "Oh, why are you still wearing your rings?" I was like, "I didn't even like. I'm not even prepped for the surgery." She's like, "Have you eaten?" I'm like, "Yeah, I had food this morning." Like, I wasn't even ready. She said, "Oh, we need you to sign the consent forms." I hadn't even signed the forms yet. It happened really, really quickly. They just wanted to get me in, take care of me and get me out because of this like space in between um, different surgeries. So I was by myself, you know, outside the operating room, pretty scared. I think they put tape around my ring. I don't really know why. I actually don't really understand the whole rings and the operating. So someone can maybe explain that to me, but they didn't take my ring off. Anyway, so I went in and had the procedure. And then I woke up in recovery by myself. And that's because uh, my husband had gone home. So before I even went up for surgery and knew that I was having surgery, this is how fast it all happened. My best friend, she arrived. And then my husband uh, said, well, I'm going to go home and uh, clean things up because the bathroom was basically just a bloodbath. So he had to go home and clean up. Um, I remember he had to throw away the shower curtain and just, he cleaned, I I actually like, you know, there's definitely some trauma I'm sure for my husband for having cleaned that up and dealt with it, you know, without any kind of support. So he was gone and the surgery happened while he was gone. So he didn't even know that I had gone into surgery. We tried to call him. He didn't answer his phone. So he didn't even know that I'd gone into surgery um, while I was in surgery and my friend at the time, then she went and breastfed her baby. So when I came out in recovery, which I think was only about half an hour later, I was alone. Uh, and I remember sitting there and just, you know, wondering, I was like, well, what happened to my baby? Cause like, I never saw I, I saw the baby when it was born in the tub, but I was so frightened because as much as I knew it was my baby, it didn't, it looked like a baby, but it wasn't quite the right, like the proportions weren't quite right, but it was still like, I was so detached from what had happened that I didn't even think to like hold my baby or anything like when it happened, because I was so traumatized by the shock of actually like giving birth. And so I asked what had happened. Cause I, I had remembered that they had brought, I believe they had brought the baby to the hospital to get checked. I don't even know because nobody told me. And the nurse said, well, she, I think she said it'll be down in the lab and they, I, you know, I promise you they'll, they'll respect it. Um, and I said, okay. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, this, this fetus, this baby just ends up being medical waste. And because I didn't even think to say like, can you wrap it up? Can I take it home? Can I bury it? Like there was no, nobody guided me. Nobody gave me that moment to say goodbye or anything. I probably, I I even asked, I said, do you know if it was a boy or a girl? She's like, oh, I don't know that we can tell. 
I know now that at 15 weeks you can tell, but I didn't know at the time, so I didn't push it. And I never named my baby because I didn't even think of that. And that's, I think one of the reasons I'm sharing this story is like, I just didn't even think it, I would have loved to have named my baby. I would have loved to maybe, you know, at least said goodbye and maybe, I don't know, just have a moment to just like have that closure. But I didn't get that. And then my friend came back and she was with me in recovery. And it's so interesting. I didn't even want to talk about what had happened. We, I remember us talking about business together. I actually remember what we were talking about, like price increases and stuff like that for business because it was the end of January. And then my husband came back from cleaning up at home and I was discharged from the hospital and I got in the car and we went and picked up my daughter from daycare. So this whole thing from the time I had called the midwives, which was at about 11 o'clock in the morning to about 4.30 in the afternoon, all of this happened in that very, very short period of time. It was so... I just felt so like outside of myself, really. I didn't really even process what had happened. I, I just remember, I don't even know that I was feeling sad. I think I was just really still in shock. And I was sent home with no information, no um, follow-up, no, here's a number you can call for support because you've just lost a baby in a very traumatic way. Uh, no information on the fact that you know, the bleeding would continue for several days and it would be very heavy, uh, that the cramping could definitely continue for the next couple of days, especially after having the DNC. Like I had none of this information leaving the hospital. And I do remember, you know, arriving at my daughter's school and my husband going to get her and just, you know, seeing her and, you know, she's two and a bit. She just really didn't know what had happened. What I do remember is that night. And I... At that point in time, I'd been writing in a gratitude journal for about two and a half years every night. And somehow, I don't really remember how actually, but somehow I wrote something in that journal. And what I wrote was, I am truly grateful that my daughter was at daycare today. I am truly grateful that the police were able to break down the door. And I'm truly grateful that my husband and best friend were at the hospital with me. I don't really know how I wrote in my journal that night. I don't. I don't know what it was that gave me the strength to find something to be grateful for on what was then the worst day of my life. I know that was the day that I started taking melatonin to help me sleep. I still take it <laughs> seven years later, probably for different reasons now. But at the time, I was like, I don't know, I'm going to sleep. But I knew I had some melatonin and I started taking it. You know, over the next few days, I definitely had major cramping, major bleeding, but it did subside fairly quickly. But I remember feeling really unwell for several days after the procedure. And I kept writing in my gratitude journal. A couple weeks after, not even a couple weeks after, I suddenly realized that if I was able to find gratitude in that moment, after such tragedy and such trauma that I needed to share my message of gratitude with others. So I had been sharing different ways to use gratitude in your life, you know, with my team and 
um, some of the programs that I was offering, but I hadn't put it into a book. And I had this idea of a book, 30 Days of Gratitude. So over the next month, so for the month of February, so the miscarriage happened on the 23rd of January, 2013. And the month of February, 2013, I would drop my daughter off at daycare and then go for a walk on the days that she had daycare, go for a walk. And the ideas for the chapters would just come to me sort of as a download and I would write them when I got home. So I wrote the book in about a month. It was really, you know, I say now that it was my therapy. It was writing the book that helped me get through all those feelings. You know, back then there weren't Facebook support groups. There weren't people you could talk to. There weren't podcasts where people are sharing their stories. There just wasn't any kind of support. And it was you like knew that people had a miscarriage, but nobody was sharing a story. So you didn't even know who to talk to or who to ask or who to even start a conversation with. So I wrote the book and in a month or just over a month. And then my sister, who is uh, an English teacher, an amazing editor, she helped me edit. So we edited for another month. And then at the beginning of April that year, we submitted my book uh, to Balboa Press, which is the self-publishing arm of Hay House. And the book came back uh, only a few weeks later, actually. It was really quick, the whole process. And, you know, then by the end of May of that year, I did a book launch and the book became an Amazon bestseller, 30 Days of Gratitude, the gratitude program that will change your life. You know, that's the silver lining for me out of the miscarriage. That's the gift I got from this ridiculously horrible trauma that I went through. I mentioned it's been seven years since that time, but as you can tell, there are details of that story that are just crystal clear as if they happened yesterday. I wish I'd known what to do, what to expect, or even where to connect after having a miscarriage. But those, those resources just weren't there. So here's what I'll share with you now. You know, we're in a very different world now. There are amazing support groups. There are a lot of ways to get support for mental health after trauma. That didn't exist. Uh, Bell Let's Talk Day wasn't even something that, you know, had been shared yet. I do belong to a number of different Facebook groups for support. So you can definitely find support on Facebook. Um, there are people on Instagram that are sharing, you know, using the hashtag, I had a miscarriage and sharing their stories and sharing, you know, that a miscarriage at any time has an impact, has trauma. For me, it doesn't matter when a miscarriage happens. It's the moment you see the positive pregnancy test that you are excited to be pregnant and excited to have a baby come into this world. So I have so much love for every woman who's been through that experience of a positive pregnancy test that did not end in a living, breathing child, no matter how many days you were pregnant, because it doesn't matter. The moment you see those two lines on a pregnancy test, you know, you start designing your life. You start to create a life that includes this child. And yeah, and then when it happens, the life that you had envisioned completely changes. So that's the story of 
my first experience with miscarriage. Um, I did have a second traumatic miscarriage a couple years later, but I want to leave that for another episode because um, that one ended up being a lot more serious. And that one was really where I came close to losing my life. So stay tuned. I will share that story as well, because as I said at the beginning, every miscarriage story is different. Every miscarriage story deserves to be honored. And it's okay if you never want to speak of your miscarriage again. I honor that. And if you want to send me a message and share your story in private, I'll listen without judgment and with a lot of love for your courage and your bravery. I love you. I'm grateful for you. And thank you so much for taking the time to listen to me share about the story about the the child that I lost that doesn't have a name, doesn't have a sex, but I will always remember being pregnant with you for 15 weeks. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Wake Up With Gratitude podcast. If you'd like to continue your journey with gratitude or stay connected, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and TikTok. Did you learn something from this episode? Was it of value to you? Please share with your friends and don't forget to add us to your favorites and download the episodes automatically when they are posted. 